Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. And we'll begin with verse 13 and read through chapter 3, verse 6. Let's give attention to God's Word this morning. He went out again beside the sea, and, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while his bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and, and they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. Uh, if he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skin, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the name of in, in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the Pharisees, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much that, that Jesus spoke the word of God to the Pharisees on, on the, the days of the Sabbath that they might understand, Lord, truly what that day is to be about. God, as we come this morning, we need to, for you to speak to us no less so. And so, Father, I, I know that um, 
that your spirit is mighty and powerful. And we would just pray, O oh Lord, that you would um, speak your words, words of life to our hearts. Lord, may we not have hearts that are hard that do not receive your word, but hearts that are soft to receive and to hear. We pray, O oh Lord God, that you would reap a harvest from us to your glory and praise. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as, as we come to uh, this passage in, in Mark, we, we really come to the end of a section of Mark's gospel that began in chapter 2 and verse 1 that runs all the way through chapter 3, verse 6, where Mark records five different accounts, five different examples that show the growing tension and conflict between the religious leaders, that is the Pharisees, and Jesus. Now, to truly appreciate, I think, the, the account that we're going to be looking at today in verses uh, 23 through chapter 3, verse 6, you've got to understand a little bit about who the Pharisees are. And I know we've talked a little bit about it in the past, but the exact origins, when, when the Pharisaical uh, movement started, we don't know exactly. But we do know that by the time that Jesus came to earth, that it had been around for a couple of hundred years. And so it was something that was well established. But to really understand sort of the Pharisees, you have to understand a little bit of the Old Testament history. Okay, if you remember kids growing up in Sunday school, you read about the Israelites, right, in the wilderness and all the things that happened. And last week we talked about how even in our devotion to God, we can struggle with two different temptations. We can struggle to either be legalistic, where we think that we have to do things to earn God's favor to, to, for our relationship with Him to be right. Or there's also sort of the antinomian uh, ditch that we might fall into. And that's a big word that just talks about anti-law. It's people who would say, you know, it doesn't matter what I do in life. God loves me. I can just live however I want. And uh, if you look at the Old Testament Israelites, they seem to fall in more in the ditch of the antinomians. They were people who understood that they were God's chosen people. That of all the nations of the world, God chose them. Now, God reminds them that he did that because he loves them, not because they deserved it, but, but they took it more, I think, sometimes as, as they deserved it. And even though God gave them his law and gave him his worship and, and the tabernacle worship and everything, the Israelites weren't always careful to obey those things or to do those things out of love for God. Instead, they, they oftentimes would sometimes do what God says, but also do what the world around them did. And so they would participate sometimes even in, in pagan worship, and even at times in their history, would sacrifice their children to false gods and stuff. It, it, was, it was just horrible. Well, God, in his faithfulness to his people, though, sent his prophets to those Old Testament people to as really like covenant attorneys, lawyers. And those prophets would declare to his people this is what God has against you. You are breaking the covenant. Repent. You know, turn to the Lord. And, uh, and they did not. They, they oftentimes just sort of went back to, but we're God's people. And uh, eventually God told them that he would bring nations, Babylon and Assyria, who would come and take them in exile. And that's exactly what happened. And it happened for 70 years. And God had the temple destroyed. And so... You know, their worship of God was interrupted. They were in a foreign land. They were, they were slaves, captives uh, to those nations. And when they came out of those nations, there were some interesting things that happened. 
And one of the phenomenons that happened is there were Jews, there were groups of Jews that formed, that took things more seriously when it came to God and his law. And one of the groups that came up was the Pharisees. Okay, and, and what they would do is it's almost as if they said, if I could put this in today's language, Lord, we learned our lesson. Okay, yeah, we, we get it. You know, we need to, to be more careful to understand your word. And so these, these Pharisees uh, came into existence. Well, the name Pharisee means separated one or holy one. And I know as I was reading about the Pharisees this past week and this week, one of the things that sort of struck me is the similarity between the Pharisees and the Puritans, the English Puritans. Now you may say, Pastor Rick, how could you ever compare those two? But there was a great zeal for, for the Word of God. Now I'm not saying those two movements were, were the same by any stretch of the imagination. And even as I shared this morning, you'll see how they differ quite a bit. But, uh, but there was some similarity, and I thought, wow, there's a great zeal there that they have for, for God's Word. And, and oftentimes, you know, the Pharisees would work against any movement that sought to compromise what God's Word says. That's how much they exalted the Torah or the law of God. And so uh, when there were movements like the Hellenists who sought to, to uh, sort of accommodate, whether consciously or unconsciously, uh, the Jewish life, with the, the world around them to sort of compromise, uh, the Pharisees would come against it. Oftentimes, like what we see in the church today, where the church is seeming to accommodate oftentimes to the cultural things in the name of witnessing and, and evangelism. And so they, they were very careful to follow God's word. But they weren't political, not really. They were a religious group, okay? And so they only cared about politics to the extent that it allowed them to obey God's word and to follow what the Lord said. And what a lot of people don't realize is, is that Phariseeism was actually a lay movement, okay? And, and it, it encompassed probably by the time that Jesus was here on earth, about 6,000 people, okay? Which is only about 1% of the population, but it was larger than the other Jewish groups like the Sadducees, or, you know, or other group like that. And, and Josephus tells us that the Pharisees were highly respected. As a matter of fact, he says Phariseeism was extremely influential among the common people. The Pharisees were regarded as the authorized successors of Torah, that is the law, who sat on Moses' seat. Remember, Jesus referred to them that way in Matthew 23, 2. But by the time Jesus' day came, uh, the original passion and the vitality of the Pharisees had turned really into more formalism, more legalism. They saw it as more important to conform to religious rules than to deal with the issues of the heart. Thus, they ended up really distorting the very law of God that they, they thought that they were protecting. And, and while believing that Torah was a norm for life, the Pharisees wove in... Uh, an increasing intricate web of sort of man-made regulations around it. Now, their purpose was really to honor the Word of God. Because in the mind of the Pharisees, it was something like this. If God's Word says this, then why don't we put a fence out here so that we don't even get close to possibly breaking God's law? Okay, sounds great, right? But what happens is, you know, God has given His Word to give us freedom, brothers and sisters. Okay? You know, the, the Bible's not a book of do's and don'ts like this heavy burden 
You know, it is joy. It, it is something that God has given to direct us in our lives so that we might live in the way that He has created us to live. So there's great joy in obeying God's commands. But when you add these legalistic fences that the Pharisees wanted to put, then what happens is now all of a sudden there's this weighty burden that falls upon people. There's no longer joy. There's, there's sort of this crushing burden on human existence. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees that your, your man-made rules are, are like these old wineskins, okay? Jesus has come, right, to, to direct us back to God's original intent for what he has given us in his word. He's come to provide the way of salvation, but he's come to tell us this salvation involves this. There's great joy in the Lord, amen? I hope you feel that, brothers and sisters. I hope your Christian faith is not this weighty burden that you have. It's something of great joy. And Jesus was come to remind that. And Jesus says, I'm the new wine. And boy, if you try to fit me into your wineskins, boom, I'm going to cause them to explode. You can't contain me. And so the legalism of the Pharisees found that they were really no match for Christ. And and we need to see, brothers and sisters, who the Pharisees are because maybe we need to see who we are. Okay, because when we ever we look at the Pharisees, we always think of them as the bad guys, right? Now, as Presbyterians, we're probably not super big on skits, but if we had a skit and, and we had Pharisees walk out on the stage, kids, you would probably all go, boo, boo. That's how we view the Pharisees. And so we look at these Pharisees and we say, they're the bad guys. But of course, whenever we look at our own lives, we always think we're the good guys, right? You ever, you ever notice that? You're always the hero. Whenever you retell a story about yourself, you always sound so much better than you really were, you know? I mean, I do the same thing. You know, that's just human nature. That's what we do. And, and if we don't understand the Pharisees for who they are, then we can oftentimes think, well, they're the bad guys. We're the good guys. We're nothing like them. But the reality is, we're actually a lot like them. And so we, we have to be careful that, that we see that, that they are people who were very zealous for the Word of God, but they had gone astray. So now, having given you all that background, I know that's a lot, I'd like to look at this passage, and, and I want to really share with you three things, okay? First of all, I want us to look at the dispute that erupted over the Sabbath day, okay? Uh, the... the the dispute. And, and the attitudes of the Pharisees in particular is exposed to us so that maybe what we might see as we look at the attitude of the Pharisees within the mirror of the Word of God is it may even expose lurking, remaining inner Phariseeism still within us as, as well. And so you have the dispute. But then, secondly, we want to look at the direction that Jesus gives regarding the Sabbath. He gives us some constructive teaching on how to keep the Sabbath well. And then third, I want us to think about the discovery that Jesus provides of the inner meaning and significance of the Sabbath. In other words, uh, what where true Sabbath blessing can be found. And so that's the outline. The dispute, the directions, and the discovery. Okay. So let's look at this dispute. First of all, in the first account of the Sabbath that takes place in the field. Jesus and his disciples were walking along. They're, they're walking along this field. They're in the middle of this field. We don't know for certain. And the disciples reach over, grab some grain, 
begin to sort of crush it in their hand, probably blow away the chaff, and they eat the grain. And, uh, you know, kids, you might be wondering why they thought they could take somebody else's grain. Isn't that stealing? Right? You're not supposed to do that. If you did that, you'd get in trouble, right? Well, actually, they were following what the Old Testament said, okay? In the Old Testament, uh, God made provision for different things. And, and in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 23, verse 25, uh, God made an allowance for anybody that didn't have food, that if they were walking in somebody else's field, they could actually take a little bit of grain and they could eat it. Now, they couldn't take a sickle. Now, you kids probably don't know what a sickle is, but it's a, a tool with a handle and it has a long in, a stick on it and there's a blade on the bottom and you could swing that thing and it would cut the wheat right off at the bottom. And then you could bundle it up in bundles and go home. The closest thing we have to it, kids, is a combine, okay? It'd be like running a combine through a field, and you're taking all that grain. God says, you can't do that, but you can pick some with your hands, and, and you can eat that. And, and God did that uh, for those who had become hungry and yet didn't have access to food. Maybe it was someone who was traveling, or, or more often it was someone who was poor. You see, God was giving in His law... He was teaching his people to be generous and compassionate, to the, especially to the poor and to the hungry. Okay, And so what they were doing was perfectly acceptable according to the word of God. And, but the Pharisees saw this as a violation of the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment. Now they didn't have a problem with the people picking the grain, but it was the fact that they were doing it on Sunday. Now, the fourth commandment, I wish this was Sunday school. I'd ask you kids if you knew what the fourth commandment was. Hopefully you do. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, okay? And then it went on to forbid people from working on the Sabbath day. Not only for the Jews themselves, but also for their servants and any guests that were in her house, for their animals, anything like that. And, of course, the Pharisees, being good students of the Word of God, began to, to sort of wrestle with that. Well, what exactly is involved in working and how can we make sure that we avoid such work great question these are the kind of things you and I wrestle with all the time do we not as we're opening God's Word we don't always understand everything we wish God would have given us more details about something and so we wrestle we look at scripture to interpret scripture and things like that unfortunately and characteristically though their answers involve lengthy list of regulations which would surrounded individual. Remember those hedges, those fences that Pharisees like to put up? They would come up with all these, these different uh, regulations. So in interpreting and applying the Sabbath commandment, they came up with a list of 39 different forms of work that were forbidden. Now, of course, then you've got to apply those different forms to different situations and circumstances. So you ended up with a whole bunch more regulations than that. I heard someone say that there might have been 125 or 150. I, I don't know how many there were, but a lot of regulations just around the Sabbath day. And so to break one of these rules was serious because in the minds of the Pharisees, anyone who broke one of these man-made regulations was equated with disobeying God's law. And, and as the Pharisees saw it, what the disciples were doing is they were reaping, they were harvesting, uh, clearly a form of work that wasn't allowed on the Lord's Day. I mean, just to tell you the kind of rules they had, if you were sitting in your chair, kids, and you scooted back from the table, but you got to remember, they didn't have carpeted floors or hardwood floors. They had dirt floors. 
And so if you pushed back and your chair made grooves in the ground, then you were working on the Lord's Day because you were plowing. <laughs> That's how nitpicky that they were on the rules that they had. So they went to Jesus and, and they, they asked him, because he's responsible for his disciples, look, why are they doing what's unlawful on, on the Sabbath? Okay, so that brings us, that's, that's the dispute. And, and what we're going to see as we look later on at the man in the synagogue, it was the same kind of thing. The religious leaders had all these different rules for healing people on the Sabbath. It wasn't what God's word said, it's what their rules were. And, and so uh, we'll come to that in a minute. But now we look at the, the directions, okay, that Jesus gives, uh, especially regarding the Sabbath. You know, Jesus could have responded to them and said, look, you guys are just petty. Just back off, you know? He could have said that. He could have defended his disciples' actions and saying, look, they're not violating the law of God. You know, they, they're not. But if, if he did, they, they, the Pharisees could have charged Jesus with indifference to the law because here again, they equate their oral law uh, with God's law. I mean, as a matter of fact, the Jewish oral traditions were known as the oral, ora, oral Torah, the oral law, okay? That's how high they exalted their view. So instead, Jesus appeals to an incident from David's life, from 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 6. And we see Mark recorded it in verses 25 through 26. And this is basically what happens. David has already been anointed king and was on the run from Saul, right? Saul had had been sort of a king who had gone bad. He was trying to kill David for no reason whatsoever. And, and he came to a town called Nob, and where the tabernacle was set up, and he asked the priest for some bread for he and his men because they were starving. Now, kids, it's not like you. You're like, oh, I'm starving, and I haven't eaten for 30 minutes. You know, that, I mean, we're talking about they were starving, starving. Like, they would perish. They would possibly die if, if they didn't get something to eat. And so they come, and they ask the priest for bread, and he says, look, I have no ordinary bread. The only bread I have is the bread of presence. Okay, now the bread of presence is the bread that is put in the holy place that is there to symbolize and to signify that God is a God who will provide for his people. He is a God who is a God who will give to his people the bread and, and, and the nourishment that, that they need. And, and so uh, the priest says to David, basically in essence, um, well, okay, let me back up here. So that bread is, is given there, it's to symbolize that, but it's also in the holy place. So it's only for the priest to eat. No one else is supposed to eat it. They would bring new loaves of bread every Sabbath and put it in the holy place, and then they'd take the old bread out and the priest could eat that. Well, the priest asked David if he and his men had been kept ceremonially clean, which, to which David said, yes, we have. And so he gave David the bread and David ate it. And so um, the point that Jesus makes in this story is that, that David did break God's law and yet the Lord didn't strike him down. Now, to these Jews, uh, David was like the greatest king of Israel and he was the standard by which everything else was judged. As a matter of fact, the Messiah was to come from the line of David. And so, uh, what do they do with David's example that, that Jesus leaves here as one who clearly breaks God's law and yet God showed him 
mercy and, and did not uh, strike him dead. Well, Jesus is saying, in essence, you know, we didn't break the law, but even if we had broken the law, wouldn't it be appropriate to show mercy? But there's more to, to the issue than merely drawing attention to a passage which embarrassed the Pharisees. Jesus goes on and he makes several clarifications, the first of which is found in verse 27. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for, for the Sabbath. And it's important to note that Jesus is not doing away with the Sabbath. Instead, he's going back to the reason that God ordained the Sabbath in the first place. God made man, and he gave the Sabbath as a blessing to man. And as a matter of fact, we see that clear back in Genesis, when God created man, then he gave him the Sabbath. He didn't make the Sabbath and then make man to serve the interests of the Sabbath. In other words, it's, it's a lot like marriage, okay? God didn't make the institution of marriage and then make the first man and the first woman say, okay, now here, try to keep all the rules of this institution. Instead, what God did was he made the first man and the first woman, and, and knowing how he had made them, he established marriage for their holiness and for their happiness. It was something that was to be a blessing. And so when it comes to the Sabbath, God made man in his image, and, and when God had completed the work of creation, what did he do? He rested. Not because he was tired, but out of satisfaction and delight in the completed work that he had made. But man, being made in the created image of God, also followed that same pattern, where six days we labor and one day we rest. Because God doesn't uh, want us to be entirely defined by our rest. He knows that we need rest. But God knows that man not only needs rest physically, but also spiritually. Because the Sabbath day was to be a time to reflect on, upon uh, humanity and their place in God's creation. It was to be a time of worship of God, a time of renewal in their relationship with God. Oftentimes you'll hear the Sabbath day talked about, and if you hear this about the Sabbath day at all, you oftentimes hear about it talked about purely as a day of physical rest. Brothers and sisters, that's a very truncated view of the Sabbath day. Actually, the Sabbath day is to be physical rest, but it's for the purpose of the rest of the soul, for the rest of the soul of man. Now, if man needed the Sabbath before sin came into the world, when God established it after creation, how much more do we need it now? Now, no man, uh, now man can become enslaved to his work. It could be from himself. Maybe he's a workaholic. It could be uh, by others. Maybe his employer causes him to, to work a lot of hours, requires a lot of hours. And so it can be very enslaving. And also, a person's work can bring very much frustration and, and weariness. I don't need to tell you that. You can tell me, we, what we call it today, we don't call it weariness and frustration, we call it drama, right? There's drama in the office. Can you believe what so-and-so said? Or there's drama at work, you know? If so-and-so didn't work there, if this circumstance wasn't there, if I didn't have this boss, you know, then life would be great, but there's drama, okay? Well, um, not only that, but there's also, because of sin in the world, there's so many things that can make us forget God and our relationship with Him. So, so the Sabbath was consecrated that it might be a different day from all the others. 
And the reason why God said there's no work on the Lord's day was so that man could be renewed and refreshed by having a whole day free from their typical work. I know for my family and I, as we began to understand this, this teaching of the Bible regarding the Sabbath, uh, at first we're, we were probably a little legalistic about it, you know. We don't go to the grocery store on Sundays, we don't eat out, we don't, and we were focused more upon the rules but despite our, our uh, probably um, poor focus on what we were looking at, we did see the blessing of the Sabbath. We realized that, you know, on Sunday, I can take grocery shopping off my list. I can take mowing the lawn off my list. And all of a sudden, there was tremendous freedom in the Lord's Day that here I am all week long seeking to have my time with the Lord, to have extended time of worship and just praise of the Lord. And it's like a battle. But the Lord said, look, let's just take away all your regular work, and all of a sudden there's all this free time. There's time to focus upon the Lord. There's time dedicated to worship Him. And now man has a space in his life for the worship of God. It's not that we don't worship the Lord throughout the week, but it's maybe not as rich and as glorious as it is on the Lord's Day. So Jesus is telling the Pharisees that by all of their rules and additions to the law, that they made the Sabbath, which was intended to be a blessing, a burden, and because they were making people serve the rules. But Jesus wants to bring them back to that intention of the Sabbath command, that the Sabbath is meant to be a blessing to mankind, that you were free from your work to renew your strength and to worship God. Now, I want to go back to the illustration of David, if I could, just a second. Okay, as, as you look at that illustration, and you think about the bread being uh, a symbol and a reminder to God's people that the Lord is their provider, can you imagine if David had come and he said, I am starving to death, literally, and my men, and the Lord is like, I am your provider, but don't touch the bread. You can see, uh, it would send that sense of mixed signals. And, and so, in order for the deeper significance of what was going on there in the ceremonial law to be fulfilled on this occasion, the formal demand of the law was set aside. The Lord said, you're in need of this bread, and I'm your provider. And through his priest, he provided that. And so you see there is a sense in which God's law is not these legalistic rules, but it's a sense of delighting in the Lord. It's a, it's a sense of God providing for us what we need and what our hearts desire. Now, yes, our flesh gets in there and wants to distort it, but that's where God's law keeps our flesh in check. Okay, let's look at the second clarification Jesus makes, which is found in verse 28. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now Jesus claims that he has authority over the Sabbath here. And, and remember uh, the, that the Sabbath was God's institution. Okay, It was established at creation and God's law was, it was uh, given by Moses. But Jesus asserts here his sovereignty even over the Sabbath. And in doing so, what he's doing is, is he's rejecting the authority of the scribes and the Pharisees to interpret the law. He's, he's telling them that they no longer have the authority to pronounce the law application to these various situations and to put their hedge around it. He, not they, are the Lord of the Sabbath. 
but but he's also asserting that he has as the son has the authority to establish the true purpose and requirements of the law and brothers and sisters we need to hear that because even for us today as we uh, hear about the Lord's Day and, and Sunday and God's blessing that he's given to us to bless us with that day our temptation can be like the Pharisees to take that and come up with our own rules by how we think we ought to spend it you know the Lord's Day is supposed to be a blessing you know I think I'm gonna bless my wife and I think we'll go out to eat or you know I think what really blesses me is to maybe play a couple rounds of golf on Sunday morning. If I make it to church, okay, that, that'd be fine. But, you know, golf really relaxes me. Or I love to watch sports on Sunday afternoon and all those kind of things. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I have established my day that it might be a day where you can focus upon me, a day that I, I can worship because he knows what's best. That brings us to the second uh, Sabbath incident. Some think it's the same day. It may be. I, I don't know. But he meets a man with a withered hand in, in the temple. And the Pharisees are observing Jesus, and they're anxious to see what he would do. You know, is he going to heal this guy? Now, they didn't question whether he could by this time. Jesus had healed so many people, they knew he could heal people. They were really just wondering if he would do it. And so they were watching him because they had all these rules again, even about people who were sick or injured. As a matter of fact, they had rules like this. If a building collapses and there's people in that building, you're allowed to move back the rubble to find anybody who's alive. And you can give them treatment, but if you find anybody that's dead, they have to stay there till the next day, till the Sabbath is over. Or, or if somebody is sick, if it's life-threatening, then you can heal or then you can treat them. But if it's not life-threatening, then you have to wait till the day after. And so here's Jesus. Okay, they're watching him. Because here's a man who has a long-standing uh, disease or illness of a shriveled hand. It's definitely not life-threatening. And they want to know, is he going to heal them? And is he going to break our rules on the Sabbath? And so Jesus responded not by avoiding the conflict, but by provoking it. And so he calls the man to himself, and as the man is standing there, Jesus turns his attention to the Pharisees. Okay, and he says in verse 4, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? What's the Pharisees' response? Crickets. It's just silence. Right? Nothing. And that's because Jesus put the Pharisees in a difficult position. He, he was challenging their whole approach to the Sabbath. They were focusing on the commands to work or not work and what was allowed and what was not allowed. And by the way, brothers and sisters, if that's where you live, if your Sunday is all about making sure that you don't break this rule or that rule and it's weighty and it's heavy, then you don't understand the Sabbath. Not, not as Jesus was saying it. Because Jesus looks at these Pharisees and in one sense it's like he's saying, now wait a minute, look. God has established the Sabbath for the good of man, to bless man. Okay, so would it not only not be allowed, but would it not be the right use to heal a man, to do good, to restore the wholeness of this man, to restore the wholeness of his body, of this man, that on the Sabbath, you know, that there are times where there are works of necessity and mercy that we do to others. But of course, Jesus knew the Pharisees didn't agree with them. There was their hardness of heart. And so Jesus, 
you know, in holy anger and, and uh, deep grief, looks at the man and says, be healed, and he restores his hand. And the man was completely healed. And the result was is that the Pharisees went out, who was a religious group, and they went out and they found a political group, the Herodians. They were the guys who supported the, the, role, the rule of the Herods in those days. And they're like, okay, I know we have nothing in common, but we have a common enemy, and that's Jesus, and we need to get rid of him. And so they plotted to, to kill him. Now, isn't that interesting? Think about that. Think about the irony. But this is how our legalistic mindset can work. Okay? I don't want to break this rule. Right? I don't want to heal this man on the Sabbath. But I could surely go out and plot on how to kill somebody on the Sabbath. Right? You're like, come on. But you know, I can guarantee you, probably every person in this room, we've done that at one time or another. I know at least the guy in the black robe has. Okay? And it's something that we can be tempted with. Well, uh, as we look at this, brothers and sisters, you know, I just want to challenge us to ask, what's, what's your attitude about the Sabbath day? You know, as you, as you come to this day, do you strive purposefully and joyfully to keep the Sabbath holy? Do you call the Sabbath a delight, or, or do you feel like it's a drudgery? It is the worship of God and the fellowship of the saints and purposefully resting from your body's work and your employments and recreation, is that an inconvenience and a burden to you? Or do you find yourself looking forward to the Lord's Day, looking forward to the preaching of the Word, looking forward from time to time to come to the Lord's table? Do you look forward to having times of fellowship with God's people that the Lord has set aside a whole day to enjoy that? Well, as we... As we consider those questions, I want us to look at one more point, and so listen briefly if you would to me, and that is to the discovery. Notice the discovery that Jesus helps us make here of the real meaning and the true source of Sabbath blessing. You know, when Jesus referred to David in 1 Samuel 21, what Jesus was doing was he was equating himself with David. He says to the Pharisees, in essence, I am just like David in 1 Samuel 21, which is pretty stunning. Uh, even uh, more stunning, though, is when he says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath in, in verse 28. Because now to say that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath would be to say, and the Jews would have heard this, I am Yahweh. I am the one who established this day. I am the Lord your God. I am the one who made the Sabbath in the first place. And so Jesus is saying, not only am I David, uh, David's heir and Israel's king, but I am Israel's God, who has come down, who has taken flesh, who is standing in this grain field on the Sabbath day, the very day that, that I instituted by my own word and decreed as the seventh day. And, and if you remember back in Genesis chapter 1, it was given... Uh, as a sign to our first parents that there would be a time when the world would be perfect and that would, the world would finally be at rest. And if an Adam and Eve had not sinned against the Lord, if they had been obedient to Him uh, in that temptation with the fruit, then uh, the, um, the provisional beauty of the unfallen garden would have been consummated in the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. 
and humanity would have experienced God's peace and rest from that point on. And we would still be experiencing that today. But the reality is, that's not what happened. We know. Eve took of the fruit. Adam ate of the fruit. And as a result, ever since then, in every age, we have had the Sabbath day that has continued. Week in, week out. And that Sabbath day, brothers and sisters, should speak to us. It holds out a promise to us of a world of rest that is still waiting to come. A world where shalom, the peace of God, not the stain of sin, not the stain of suffering, but the peace of God will come. And, and as we come here, I hope you're beginning to see what, what Mark is saying here. That, that Jesus is saying, now here at last, the Lord of the Sabbath himself has come. Israel, uh, um, excuse me, Israel's great king, David's true heir, he has come. You see, to bring the Sabbath rest, to begin the reign of shalom, of peace, right here already in the middle of this broken world. And interestingly, when Jesus healed the man who had the withered hand, it says that when he stretched it out, it was restored. Now that word restored is used a couple times in Mark's Gospel. One other time is to talk about healing. But in chapter 9, it's talking about the restoration of all things at the end of the age. And so what is happening is when Jesus heals the man on that Sabbath day, he's providing a window into the real meaning of the Sabbath day where Sabbath rest can be found. He says, I'm giving you a picture of the Sabbath rest that only I can have. The Sabbath wholeness, the Sabbath renewal, the new creation. And where does it come from? Where, where, where does it come from? It comes from the Lord of the Sabbath. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come. And he has triumphed, brothers and sisters, over sin and death and hell. And he has gathered and he's continuing to gather his people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And he is building a kingdom in the midst of this dark world. And in his kingdom there is a hope, a resting peace, not, not uh, a rest and a peace. Not, not perfect rest, not yet here upon this earth. But there will one day be that perfect rest. And just as the Sabbath day continues... And as we trust in Jesus, we look forward to the day when we will feel that or we will experience that full Sabbath rest, knowing that the Lord of the Sabbath will return. And what we taste and know truly and deeply, though imperfectly now, will one day in all of its fullness be here. And so the Sabbath preaches to us good news for us. It says to us what Jesus says in Matthew, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is rest for you in the Lord of the Sabbath. There is restoration for us in the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen? So let me ask you this as we close this morning. What do you think about Sunday? Really? Is Sunday... Uh, just a day for you to sort of check off the box. Okay, I went to church. Now I've done what I'm supposed to do. Now I can go and do what I want to do for the rest of the day. Maybe the Sabbath for you is, is a drudgery. It's a burden. You're going, oh, not the Sabbath. Not Sunday. Sundays are so busy. I'm so tired of them. Sunday. Maybe you're totally indifferent. You're like, okay, I go to church. When I get done with church, I go do my thing. I mean, it's just, it's no big deal. Is the Sabbath day for you a way for you to boast maybe 
in your righteous performance. Maybe it's a day for you to come and look good in front of the rest of the church so people can tell you how awesome you are. Right? I mean, you already knew that, but you were just waiting for other people to see it. You know, so what do we really think about Sundays? Do you see it that it is, in fact, it's an opportunity. It's an invitation to come to have fellowship with the Lord of the Sabbath himself. It is an invitation to lay aside everything else for a day and to commune with the Redeemer who rose, bringing the life and immortality to light. You see, there's, a, there's an opportunity for you, brothers and sisters, to find rest. We live in a world that's busy, crazy. We're moving a million miles an hour. And, and we have a day that the Lord has given us to rest. That, 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 it's a day that gives us inner peace. It's a day for us just to be focused upon Him and enjoy that. But it's also, brothers and sisters, more than that, it speaks to us about the coming Sabbath rest that will come as well. A, a time when we will look and we will shed these bodies in death, and the Lord will give us new bodies, and we will be with Him for all eternity. No more sin. Can you imagine just that alone? No more sin. Just imagine the rest that we will have as we are in the presence of Him. I've wondered, brothers and sisters, if you have come this morning to taste of the goodness of the Lord. Let's bow our head this morning and reflect upon these things that were spoken today. Lord, as we come this morning, I'm sure there's, there's probably a lot of different ways that, that people view the day that you have given to us, the Sabbath day. Some of us are, are, are probably proud of our, our diligence on Sunday. Others of us find Sunday to be dull and, and wearisome. Some of us probably are, are indifferent. Sunday is a, another day for, for self and for recreation and for our earthly pleasures. Lord, we pray... Would you please forgive us for the, the great damage that we do to our own souls by the neglect of your day, by failing to use it as you have ordained we should, to know you, to, to feast by faith upon you, to have fellowship with your people under your word, and to be nourished by you. Oh Lord, would you help us by your, your Holy Spirit not to become slaves to some narrow, legalistic view of your law or of the day that you have given to us. But instead, Lord, to discover the inner joy and wonder of it as we begin to have communion with the Lord of the Sabbath himself. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. And Lord, that you have so blessed us, uh, Lord, with your Sabbath and in so many other ways. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen.